Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to PerpetualChessPod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by a guest who is a distinguished guest from sort of outside the chess world, but also very in the chess world. He is an author, a psychology professor at the Queens College of the City University of New York. He specializes in late life depression and cognitive impairment. He's also a practicing clinical psychologist. He's an avid chess player, if you're wondering why he's on a chess podcast. He began tournament chess as an adult age 33 and has reached the USCF 2000, uh, which used to be called expert. It's a bit more confusing now, but I still think of it as USCF expert. He's a chess author and frequent collaborator with Grandmaster Boris Goko. They had a series called Lessons with a Grandmaster, which is very highly regarded. And their latest book is Analyzing the Chess Mind, which I just read, new, from, new this year from Quality Chess, which also goes deep into chess psychology, but also has lots of chess improvement advice from Grandmaster Goko. And I'm excited to welcome to the show, Dr. Joel Sneed. Welcome, Joel. Thank you for having me. Yeah, exciting. Um, you, you come highly recommended by Kostya Kovutsky. Uh, what's, what's your um, relationship with Kostya? Just, um, you know, uh, was fortunate enough to uh, that, that he was uh, willing to teach me a little bit. So, so we had some lessons together. And um, you know, trying to uh, improve my game, uh, you know, I, I've uh, you know had uh, lessons with a, a lot of strong players uh, trying to improve my game, um, and uh, he was one of them. And I thought he was fantastic. And um, and I think what they're doing at the Chess Dojo is fantastic. And um, so he was, you know, kind enough to to. Uh, Put me in touch with you. Great, yeah, and um, not to put any pressure on you, Joel, but uh, Kostya said that you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't, I don't think I'll be funny today, but I'll try to be. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Um, <clears throat> but aside from the uh, Chess Dojo talk, which of course I agree with you, they're doing uh, fantastic work. I wanted to start with your chess origins because we were just chatting a bit before we hit record. And I don't always, a lot of chess origin stories I find to be broadly similar. A lot of us learn chess from our parents and get tossed into the tournament arena one way or another but you have a pretty unique chess tournament origin story uh do you mind sharing it with our listeners joel uh, sure um i as i as i said you know i i learned uh how to play it uh 24 uh, i guess it was i think it was around 24 i remember i used to play my my uh, uh father-in-law and we were both quite bad and and um and I, I learned, the, I guess, the rules a little bit. And then I didn't play again for another five or six years. And I was uh, interning, uh, you know, when you do a PhD in psychology, the final step in the clinical psychology PhD is an internship at a hospital, a psychiatric in, uh, hospital. And I was at Bellevue uh, Hospital and um, I was uh, treating a, 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 a 10-year-old kid and um, at the office that I was in, there was a chessboard. Um, just, you know, they have many times when you treat kids, you have games to, to play to sort of break the ice and to, to have something to do while you're talking with kids. And uh, so checkers and chess and those types of things. And uh, he said, you know, looked over at the shelf and said, why don't we play chess? And I said, okay, I knew, I knew the, the rules of the game. Uh, so I, we started to play. And um, we played for, you know, three or four months together. And um, the uh, following, um, when I finished my internship, I did a, uh, a postdoc in statistics at NYU, in math, in math, math and statistics at, at NYU. And um, NYU, for those who don't know, um, is situated in the uh, West Village of New York City and right around the corner from NYU is a was, was a very cool famous shop called the chess shop and it was on Thompson Street and local people in New York will will remember it uh, at least the old timers and I started to go and it was back when there was smoking and uh, God it was just a cloud of smoke and old people drinking coffee and and I would come out with migraines and but I loved it yeah <laughs> I just love to play there and so i went every lunch break you know every day at lunch and took lessons from richie gill martin and even david canty uh who's a who's a, a regular at the marshall still um and i've known him now for 20 plus years and we uh you know we you know just started the whole thing and met my friend uri feld there and it was just sort of a chess thing you know and then we went to the you know started you know finally started to you know, got the courage up to play a tournament game at the Marshall. And, uh, and that was the, you know, we went to, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the U.S. Amateur Team East tournaments and that kind of stuff. That was the, the, the early days. Nice. Yeah. And again, for listeners, so at age 33, he played his first tournament and made it to over 2000. And it's pretty slow and steady progress. It's kind of the dream for a lot of people, I think, who, who listen to this podcast. Um, and you've written, Joel, that, that you learn a lot. Part of the reason that you've put this time into chess, obviously pretty successful outside of chess and a lot going on, 
is that you learn a lot about yourself. So what has this experience taught you about yourself over the years? Oh, that I'm extremely obsessional and... (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't know that already, right. (laughs) I didn't know that. But you just sort of repeat the same mistakes over and over again, expecting different results, right? Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, that was really, that was one of the great um, things that Boris said, actually, in our first, uh, the very beginning of, I think it's the introduction of the first Lessons with Grandmaster book. He, he said, um, um, uh, paraphrasing, but basically he said, chess always corrects your self-assessment. And he had the complete opposite situation. He felt like he was, he was overly confident. And of course, we're talking about, you know. If I, a, if a, I were a, Boris Goko, I'd be overconfident. I'd be overly too. confident too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, he had, you know, he, he, you know, yeah, he was, you know, this is USSR 19, you know, mid 70s right and he he felt like he was overly confident and he said this really important thing like chess always corrects your self-assessment and so you know that that um started me thinking about like well the chess psychology of it like how much of of us is in this game you know because i don't think i was it that was not what i was attracted to when i when i um started playing i was attracted to it because i liked the 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 beauty of end games you know like that you know the the the, i find the aesthetics of of end games and the mathematics of of material you know to be you know uh i i find that the you know and the logic uh and and smyslov talks about that in his book right he talks about the beauty the truth in the chessboard and I feel like, okay, if I'm winning by a piece, I'm going to win the game. Like, that's it. It's over. That's not, of course, the truth um, because there are other factors. But I just really loved that part of it. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I've been reflecting a lot recently about this, this idea about chess being science and art and sport and, and the sport part of it I really don't like. Um, I just don't care for 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 winning, uh, for winning's sake. You know, I, I want the game to be, you know, something that I've done well, or I don't want something pretty in it or That's nice. Pleasing. Yeah, I've sorry to cut you off. I, I've noticed some people have that mindset, and some people come from a more sort of street fighter perspective where they right. they enjoy the competition. And I've noticed that people who like the artistic element more, which obviously I certainly understand, they can be uh, more easily um, steered away from from tournament chess. Do you do you like as opposed to just enjoying the game, uh, reading books and stuff like that? Uh, does that ring true to you, Joel? Well, I, I certainly find the competition part of it unpleasant. I'm, 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 I feel like I'm in, it's the Ulf Anderson school, right? You just had that great podcast with Ulf Anderson, which is, which was fantastic to finally hear from him. Yeah. Um, he's like very hard to find. I've tried to find them because I, you know, obviously like that kind of chess and, and, uh, and yeah, I just want to like have a cup of tea and sit and think about stuff for a really long time so there's this thing in psychology we call it need for cognition and it's just it and it's it's you know people that like me and and i would imagine a lot of people in chess you know like to analyze right like to think and and solve problems like it's fun it's enjoyable just that 
that. So we will all score high on need for cognition. Um, and that's what Wolf is talking about in that interview. He's talking about um, how pleasant and enjoyable it is to think, put your head in your hands and think about a position for a really long time. And like shorter time controls and the sport of it, um, just, you know, and it's just stressful. Like he says, it's just, it's yeah. stressful and, it, and it's not enjoyable. So, so when I play tournament games, what I struggle with uh, win or lose is that I never want to experience what I experienced that night <laughs> again. So every year it's like, oh my God, that was terrible. Win or lose. Like I win games and it, and, and, I, and I, and I was like, that was horrible. That was, I don't want to experience what I just experienced, even if I've won the game, because it was stressful, so stressful to win the game. There's always a clock, but you know, there's always time pressure now. You know, you don't win with half an hour on your clock anymore. It's a, it's a time scramble always. And um, it's just, you know, very stressful now. And yeah. it used to be much more, uh, you know, okay, so maybe there's some age, age factor going on there that, you know, that he was talking about that, that it's just less pleasant to be involved in that. Yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that, having had a, a tournament with, with some challenges, as I alluded to recently. Um, I didn't mention in the Dean tournament, I did manage to win my last three games, so I avoided abject disaster, but it brought home the lesson, and I was talking about this with my friend and friend of the pod, Evan Rosenberg, when I was 0-3. Like, even for me, and I totally get that feeling of uh, unpleasantness, but I also, like... Um, I find the the ability to concentrate so uh, redemptive that it keeps me coming back. But um, mm. but nonetheless, the 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 bottom line is the highs are the highs are not nearly as high as the lows are low. And I've heard right. a lot of chess players uh, uh, lament that. Right. Well, it's like it's like remembering the things you do wrong on a test. Right. Right. You don't remember the ninety five questions you got right. You, <laughs> you remember all the the ones you got wrong, or you think you got wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That that's uh Yeah, no, and we had the same tournament experience. I lost those three games and then I, I managed to win the last three, but boy, I didn't it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, so to set the stage for listeners, so Joel has been playing when circumstances um can uh, allow over the past uh, 18 years of tournaments and has gone mm -hmm. from his first rating was about 1200 and he made it over 2000 USCF but his last tournament was in May of this year and Joel had been telling me he he had a rough tournament he went 0 and 3 so now there's a bit of a um, crisis of conscience about like uh, what what to do next so while that's going on Joel are you still taking lessons and like uh and you know um do you have a foot in the chess world oh yeah 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 i'm i'm doing lots of stuff i i'm still taking lessons i play all the time um i'm working on a couple of different chess projects um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a good time to talk about some of those. I'm working on a couple of different projects. Um, I'm writing a book on the, uh, Carol Can with Keith Arkell, oh, cool. uh, Grandmaster Keith Arkell in, um, um, Britain. And, um, I think I'm, I'm starting to, um, uh, which I was going to talk to you, but not not necessarily on on the podcast about. Um, I'm, I want to do like a YouTube series on uh, a lesson with the Grandmaster of the series, okay? Because I've taken a lot of lessons with strong players. Like I look, I really enjoy talking to really strong chess players about everything chess, and like you do, right? I mean, you get to 
do that too, but on an yeah. even higher level, uh, talking to you know world champions and stuff. But um, you know, I really enjoy that and taking lessons from them and getting their perspective and their opinions and and their advice. Um, so I've 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 met with and talked with a lot of really uh, good players, and I thought, why not? turn that into a YouTube series and we'll just, you know, a continuation of the lesson with the lessons with the grandmaster idea and, and have, and, 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 and put it up on YouTube, you know, and, and let people see maybe the people that I'm talking to, they'll be like, oh, I really like the way that guy taught, or I like that guy's perspective or his repertoire. Maybe I'll contact him. And so it could be a, a you know, a way to, you know, talk about, you know, books that are coming out or, or coaches that are less well known, you know. I think a lot of people see people on streaming and Twitch and all that kind of stuff, and there are about ten or ten or fifteen of these famous people. Uh, but there are like hundreds of really, really strong chess players in the world that you know that you can go see and talk to, you know, and 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 get coaching advice and stuff from. Yeah, I mean, someone like Boris Golko, who, to be clear for any newer listeners, is an absolute legend, uh, yeah. you know, U.S. champion and played in candidate cycles and, you know, wrote in your first book about, you know, coming up with uh, playing against Karpov and all these oh, other, yeah. like, just sure. so Soviet era legends. But someone yeah. like him, like, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty off the radar these days. Like, he, yeah. he writes, he, he does his collaborations with you. But right. as far as I know, he doesn't have like a big online footprint. Um, right. I, you know, I know he emigrated to the U.S., but I don't know where he lives or anything like that. You know, and there's so many uh, just incredibly accomplished and brilliant people. That whole, that like whole that. era. Yeah. That whole era. Yeah. That entire era. Um, Romanesian uh, lives in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, Faganian uh, Belyovsky, right. right? They're all these like phenomenal chess players, like top 10 chess players from the eighties that are probably 65 now, 70. And, um, you know, we're talking world-class players. We're talking about like people at the level of Nakamura and, <laughs> you know, and, you know, th 30 years ago and uh, they have a lot to offer, you know, yeah, really I mean, uh, like a, a, a amazing amount to offer. Yeah, and of course, Goko has the insane story of like the prime years of his chess career being robbed. You know, from from seven to seven years. Yeah, from from seven age thirty two yeah. to thirty nine to to not be able to compete because he was trying yeah. to get out of the Soviet Union, and therefore right. they weren't they weren't inviting him to tournaments. I mean, that's, that's how I that's how I met him. My father in law and and my wife's family were also in the same boat, refuseniks mm -hmm. in in the former Soviet Union. And and um, that's how I met him. I met him through my father-in-law. Oh and, wow! Um, so not a chess a, connection, or not? No, no synagogue. Wow! <laughs> All right, that's I, how I you think, meet Coco. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I I think so. Uh, and and yeah, he's like I think I remember that uh, he's like yeah I, I I sit next to him at the synagogue, um, and um, and so he put me in touch with him. And uh, um, but yeah, I think Boris lives in Israel now. Okay, um, but um, yeah, there's all those legends from you know they're they're around. I mean, not all of them are like Wolf Anderson, for example, is not very approachable because um, he you know doesn't have internet and I have to go train in some cave in Sweden somewhere. I love but... it. Yeah, it's so analog. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you can you 
you you can't bring an electronic clock. It has to be the old one with with the wind up in the back. <laughs> right, but of course, <laughs> but of course, in our interview, he's like these, these computers. They're they're That's useful. Right. You know? <laughs> Shout out to Olf Anderson. If you yeah, catch, absolutely. Catch really that. Obviously, a, a honor of a lifetime to get to chat with him. But yeah, but you really. admire the purity for sure. Yeah, it's my favorite player. Yeah, what a what a great player. Yeah. Um, so bringing it back to your tournament chess, because I want to get sort of broad, more broadly into um, uh, chess psychology as as the conversation goes on, Joel. So you had a rough tournament and you haven't been motivated to play since since then. That's something I think a lot of listeners will find yeah. more, um, relatable. Uh, me too. So if you had a friend contact you and say they were in that situation but they did want to play again in theory like what would you advise them you know it's it i mean it's just a symptom of obsessional doubt right i mean that that's essentially what it is and um you know the 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 answer is very very simple so when i work with my patients i have a, a saying that i repeat hundreds if not thousands of times and that is approach don't avoid and it's it's the single most um useful thing that you can do to treat any kind of anxiety right and 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 th and, and i think that this falls under a fear um that i talk about in the in the chapter on improving your chest psychology about um, fear of losing, right? I think it's the quote from, well, anyway, there, there's a quote in the book that you're, 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 you move from, oh, John Watson, right. Sai, Sai sent me an article from like 1981, an interview with John Watson. And he says something about moving from being interested in, in sort of in, in chess like in the in the the exploration of chess to being afraid of losing and it has something to do i think with um the um meaning of the rating points in our mind in our unconscious um that um, has something to do with our status and how we feel about ourselves and our self-esteem and um when that all of that is on the line um, and it is for a lot of people, um, you know, and your and your intelligence too, right? Like I think there's a huge amount, especially mostly in chess, uh, or peculiarly in chess, right? Where somehow your chess is connect. You know, like when you meet someone, you say, "Oh, you play chess. You must be smart." Like it's the and anytime they want to like talk, they want to just show. Um, in 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 literature and art and movies and everything, they want to convey someone thinking. It's like there's a chessboard around, and so we identify somehow in our minds with um, this idea that you know chess makes us smart or is somehow connected with being smart. And when you have some doubt about how smart you are, and I certainly do, um, I. You know, all of that's on the line when I play. Right. And and that's a lot. Like it's just a game, but but it's not, and it's connected. And 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 you know, uh, I I disagree with most of everything that Ruben Fine wrote about in, in his chess <laughs> psychology book, uh, as a psychoanalyst. But 
the connection between the pieces in the game and your unconscious and what's going on in your unconscious is very true. Like that's, that's right up front, front and center. So I think that, that um, trying to acknowledge being honest with yourself about, um, you know, um, uh, being honest with yourself about what's at stake um, can 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 be helpful in terms of um, you know get, getting yourself uh, back into into it, and I, I think uh, in in that you know this hypothetical friend you know I, I would say approach don't avoid, and that's what I tell myself. You know I tell myself, uh, okay, it's time to you know time to get back into it, um, and and you just have to. It's like a cold shower. You just have to. You just have to do it, you know, and prepare yourself a little bit, start doing some tactics, you know, mm-hmm. and just get back in there. Um, but I have so much obsessional doubt about, you know, my game, my openings, my this, my that, that it's just very, very difficult for me to, to, to finally pull the trigger and get in there again. Yeah. And for me, it often feels like it's like going to the gym when when you're not when it's out of your routine it's easy to just push back like i always feel like i need some runway if i'm going to actually pursue tournaments i'm not i'm not one of these people who i i've learned that i can't be one of these people that just shows up every 6 months um because the results are going to be uh so bad that it's going to deter me from wanting to show up again whereas if i'm competing regularly then the results start to move at least in the right direction, but yeah, you that, have to be informed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't, and you have to play yourself. I mean, I've had many lessons where 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 the the, the stronger player in the lesson, right, the teacher, uh, would be, oh, this is just you're just in bad form. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like even just practical stuff, like being up a piece and converting a game, um, you know, and that that kind of stuff. Um, not that that's easy to do, um, but but uh, you know it's easier when you're in practice and you're you're in practical. You've been playing, you know, regularly. Tournament games, like there's a whole other. It's not yeah, it's not a, this online stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just a whole different animal. All right, yeah. well, Joel, we have one related Patreon mailbag question. Uh, listeners who support Perpetual Chess are able to send in questions. We haven't had a lot of questions lately, so I'm. Uh, uh, glad, glad to have a few good ones for Joel, and always good to have the support of uh, generous Perpetual Chess listeners. And this one is from longtime friend, supporter of the pod, Tyron Ross Price, who, on these notes, asks if you could share any tips for getting into a beneficial mindset before a tournament. And you, you write about this some in the book, which, by the way, the book is fantastic. And as as Joel alluded to, the the his chapter about psychology, some of the chapters are game analysis by Grandmaster Goko, which of course are also great, but more in the traditional chess manual um, mind, mindset. Although there is a psychological angle to them, but Joel's chapter is uh, worth it, worth its weight and available on Forward Chess. But anyway, uh, do you need me to repeat Tyron's uh, question after that long digression, Joel? Um. Uh, he asked about um, beneficial mindset. Beneficial mindset. Yeah, I do talk about that in the book. I mean, there are stuff that that um, there are things that I've done that I mean, I, I don't honestly know if they are um, helpful, but um, uh, things that I have picked up on over the years. Um, 
just talking to strong players, getting, you know, well, what do you do? And, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, 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 and as I, as probably clear like I, I get pretty anxious before the, the the games that i when i go to play tournament games like it's not really a comfortable experience so um i'm pretty in like up and intense and um jacked up on adrenaline and so i have to learn how to kind of calm down um and i find having like a regular routine to be very helpful um, so like just showing up at a tournament that you've never been to before, um, you know, uh, not having, uh, not being aware of the surroundings, not knowing where the tournament hall is, where you're going to play, what board you're on, all, all that stuff, you know, keeps you from kind of focusing on the game and, and, and your, your mindset. And so I, I prefer to do a lot of rehearsal and I and I and I talk about this with patients all the time especially patients with social anxiety that suffer from you know the anxiety of sort of the crippling anxiety of, of feeling like they're being evaluated by people that they're talking to um, so when I work with people like that I, I emphasize a lot about rehearsal that I think is um, very useful like when when I give when I used to give talks in psychology when I was young um, you know, you have to get up in front of a couple of hundred people and, and, and deliver a research talk. And you're always terrified that there's going to be some genius in the audience who's going to just tear your research apart. And it's, it's a terribly anxiety provoking experience, especially when you're young. Um, and, you know, now it's much less, less, much, much less anxiety. And I imagine that's true for the same for like, you know, experienced chess players, right? Uh, much less anxiety for them to play chess. Um, so there's something to that, right? So the more you do it, the less anxiety there will be and you can calm down and focus on your game. Um, but what I, what I was saying about, um, those talks, those psychology talks was, you know, I used to do a lot to prepare for them, right? I would practice my talk. I would go to the venue to make sure I knew oh, wow. where it was. I would... I would, um, if I could, you know, I'd even get in there and put the talk up on the screen uh, on, uh, when the room is empty and just kind of run through my talk. And so, uh, and, and sort of just be in the room uh, where I was giving the talk. And I think the, you can, you can, um, that, that use that as a, as a, as a kind of a metaphor for chess preparation, right? So you preparing yourself there's the 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 perennial stuff like are my openings intact and i've been doing my tactical training and have i been playing regularly that kind of stuff um but then there's the you know just the logistic stuff about the playing conditions and the hall and your routine like where where are you what, what's your setup going into the to the game that day is it like are you running around uh you know, picking up the kids and getting them to daycare or off to school or to their after school program and then, you know, getting in the car and going there and there and then, you know, getting dinner ready and then running off to the tournament where you haven't had a minute to think. And then you get to the tournament and you're like, okay, it's like, let's play a chess game. Your mind is not in it, you know? Um, so I think there's, there's a lot um, of useful stuff uh, in terms of being in a, in a, in a good mindset for playing where um, in prep preparing um, 
in 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 terms of um, the sort of uh, the, the the practical stuff, not not necess- not just the chest stuff. Um, having a routine reduces um, anxiety about um, all those things that I was just talking about. Um, you go to the same coffee shop, get the same coffee. You have you already have your let's say you're playing a real like four hour game or something like that. You might need some kind of mid game snack of some kind. I always remember Boris said someone used to like chocolate. Maybe it was Smizlov or Tall or something like that. So I always bring chocolate with me uh, to you know in the two hours into the game I have a piece of chocolate, you know that kind of stuff and. And um, I remember Boris telling me not to eat too much, like don't eat a big dinner and then go play because you get sleepy and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, those are like little practical things. And then in the book, I talk about chess, uh, I I talk about visualization exercises. And this is exactly um, kind of what the the question, you know, to answer that, a part of answering that question would be, having the time to think about your um what you're just about to do like can you sit down kind of in a meditative way and like walk yourself through what's going to happen you're at the board who's who's your opponent you know they say okay you can start your clocks you shake your hands you have your coffee you've got your chocolate you know like and you and you really kind of walk through it when you get to the board, you've already been there, you know, you're already there. And that's, that I think is, you know, a level of concentration and um, preparation that goes well, well beyond just, you know, you know, I'm ready, my openings are up and I've been playing, you know. Great advice. Yeah. And, and, but I know it can be challenging because like Tyron, I know you, you live in North Jersey, you're able to play in your local chess club, you play at the Marshall, um, frequently, so you, you often would know the surroundings. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's more like weekend getaways. Uh, right. And in that case, how could you adapt it if you're like so w- you're getting there that morning? <clears throat> you know. Yeah. No, that's exactly the point uh, about the chess talk, uh, the the psych talks that I would give. So the the conferences that I'm talking about, these are national conferences that are always in sort of big cities, San Francisco, L.A. and Toronto and, you know, some use Puerto Rico, maybe if you're lucky, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, you know, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Boston, New York. Right. So um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You're in a strange city. Um, so how do you um, prepare yourself? You get there early. Right. You scope out the scene. Go to the tournament place. Go to the it's at a hotel. Probably go to the hotel. Where am I going to be playing? Where's the low, where's the, where's the closest Starbucks? Where, you know, where am I going to get my, you know what I mean? Like you get all of that stuff and go and like put yourself in it, rehearse it. It's, this is really about rehearsal and get yourself in it so that when you, when it's time to do it the next day, you've been there and mm-hmm. you know, oh, I know where I am. I've been here before. I know where the Starbucks is. I know where my tournament is. I know where to look for this person and that person and that thing and this thing. And I'm set up and ready and I can focus on playing. Okay. And do you have a philosophy, Joel, on like cramming opening lines if you find out who you're playing, say? I mean, obviously, if you have hours, I think it's reasonable to prepare. But what if you have 15 minutes, 20 minutes? Um, it's never, never helped. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've done it. I've done it. I'm like, oh, this guy, 
he plays X or she plays that doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel like it doesn't. And, and, and the times that I've, and I have found that, that, that and this may just be peculiar to New York City chess, like playing at the Marshall or, or at my local club, I find that the um, preparing for a specific opponent rarely works. Um, just because there, there's so many variables that uh, you always end up paired with someone that was not the person you're prepared for. You're like, yep. <laughs> so I, you know, that doesn't mean that that preparation is no good. It, it, it's it's preparation that you'll use another time. But you know, I, I I have rarely prepared my openings for a specific person and have that be the pairing for that that evening. Yeah, you know, it's happened like. A couple of times, and both times I probably lost. So, I don't. <laughs> I don't really. Yeah, I don't. I can relate. All right. Well, we're going to discuss some more common chess psychological pitfalls. But first, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. I've been due for an update from our friends at aimchess.com. Aimchess, of course, gathers games from the major chess playing sites and gives you actionable intel of what aspects of your game to work on, and it helps you work on them. Uh, I've been working on some new openings in my Blitz game. It turns out I'm doing pretty decently with those new openings. Of course, I've got to keep them a secret from you guys. Um, but I still have some other things to work on. Time management slightly better, but lots and lots of room to improve. Uh, I also need to work on advantage capitalization and resourcefulness. On the other hand, my end games are doing well and my openings are doing well overall. So if you're looking for that kind of insight as well as puzzles of tactics that you missed and chances to practice positions you didn't convert, then Try out aimchess.com. If you do so, please use the code perpetual30 at aimchess.com. The link is also in the show description. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And we are back, and we are going to go straight to the next Patreon mailbag question. This one uh, I and Joel uh, both found relatable, but we'll get to it. So Igor Feinstein, thanks for supporting the pod, Igor. He asks, he says, I'm a strictly online chess player, and the vast majority of the time I play bullet chess. I fully acknowledge that it adds no serious dimension to my chess, but I convince myself that it's ty a type of training tool to train myself to think and calculate faster. However, I've been discovering over and over again that I'm very quick to go on serious tilt after losing just a couple of games. Recently, I went on a tilt that cost me 150 rating points in one sitting. If I want to continue playing bullet chess without suffering psychological harm like my epic tilts, what do you recommend is the best approach? Should I limit myself to a certain number of games per day? Should I bother analyzing my own games even though most of my mistakes are in a time scramble? Should I take some time in between games, especially after losing? And what is the ultimate psychological reason chess and poker players go on tilt? Are GMs known for going on tilt? 
end of question. I so much <laughs> resonates. So let, let eager to hear yeah. your take. Well, for, first of all, the entire game is on, is is a time crunch, right? Yeah, so fully, yeah. <laughs> the, you start off in time pressure, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't. You know, honestly, I don't think this is a chess question. Um, I, I this is this is. Um, more, I mean, I, I, what I'm hearing is more uh, in the in the in the um, realm of um, uh, kind of like uh, video game addiction, um, gambling addiction, um, that kind of stuff. I, I, I think what 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 I'm hearing is more about getting the next fix um, from playing, you know, that next dopamine shot from from playing your next bullet game. And so, um, when when that's the case, um, you know, I don't think these the latter part of those questions, um, they're they're the logical part of the mind saying, yes, there are things that you can do, um, you know, like should you should you uh, take a break? Should you try to, um, you know, have a have a session instead of just sort of an open-ended session, but like say, I'm gonna play for an hour and, and put on a timer. There are all kinds of logical um, things um, that you can do. And I think that the, 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 the person that wrote the question and most chess players are smart enough to know or to even experiment with sort of logical um, efforts. I, I have struggled with this I mean, for 20, well, ever since I started playing online, which I have to say is, is I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm not happy about it. Um, I thought that chess was a lot better when I was just sitting there reading my system, you know, like <laughs> there was, you know, before I learned about the, the ICC, you know, this is a long time ago, but you know, that's what I did, right? I would come home from work, it'd be six, seven o'clock, I'd have dinner, and then I would sit for three hours and I would study my system or reassess your chess or Irving Chernev, you know, those type of things. And I would study and and I and that's how I got good. I'd study hard and, and now I, I, I just like get on and play blitz, right? And um and, and, and so you know, so anyway, so the, the, the latter part of the question has to do with sort of logical attempts to deal with um what I think of more um as a dopamine fix. And um so uh, I think that, and, and, it, and it goes, and I, I'm not saying that in, a, in a, I mean, I'm not saying that like, I don't have that. I mean, I, I, I get that too, all the time. I don't do bullet, but I play five minute blitz games and, and 150 rating points, sure, <laughs> all, <laughs> all the time. Right. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm terrible. And, um, and you, know, you know, I, and I even know what I, at least I think I know, um, what it's about, and I still do it. Um, so I, I mean, I think this is kind of perennial issue for for chess players, and you know, it's one that I thought a lot about. I do think it's more in, you know, uh, if you if you if you look at um, the literature on video game addiction and gambling and stuff like that, you'll you'll see a very um, close um, uh, parallel for what this person is talking about, what we experience as chess players playing these games. Um, and and um, yeah, we go on tilt because we're bent out of shape and we're, uh, you know, these games put you in a very uh, heightened uh, adrenaline rush state and 
that can be positive and negative, right? So when you're when you're feeling good, you're you know the pieces are moving. You're feeling like you know things are going good. You're getting your dopamine fix. Great, you know you're you're doing it. But then you lose and you get negative and you try to make up for your points and you try to you know that and you start to feel the pressure and you start hating yourself and blah 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 and what an idiot I am and then that that snowball starts to go and you know you're in the you're in you're in this sort of type uh, cycle and that's what poker's called tilt and you know you know the 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 easiest way to deal with that is to turn the computer off you know and uh so all i mean you know he's already answering his questions the logical part of it is there but this isn't about logic this is about emotion and how we feel um and and the relationship between these um these online type of games where there's time pressure and the time pressure gives you this sort of uh, uh dopamine burst we're like little we're like little rats in a cage pressing a bar for our next fix of cocaine. Yeah. You know that's essentially what what what's happening. Um, and um, so yeah, is it good for your chest? No, I mean to to begin with, there I don't think there's a chess player I've talked to, and I and I've talked to and you you've talked to hundreds, but I would bet you that that not a single one of them has said yeah, bullets great for your chest. He, I mean, he, he says that bullets not good for, for his chest, so he already knows that it's not good for his chest. Um, I haven't played bullet myself ever, um, but uh, you know, even the faster games. But I mean, I think at five five minutes, I think uh, five minutes with a few seconds delay um, is actually a time control you can learn a little bit from. So you, yeah, if you go over a five minute game with a good player, you'll be able to see patterns that you would see in your in your slower games. Yeah. So uh, I would, I would, I would three, three, two maybe be the, the fastest I would, I would do. So that's what if it was about getting, improving chess, I would go below three, three, two. Yeah. Well, good advice, Joel. And yeah, as I said, I've, I, I'm as you have, as Igor, uh, yeah. the questioner has, I've struggled with this stuff. And for me, the answer had to be cold turkey. I can't play bullet. Um, I can't. Yeah. I can't regulate my emotions in bullet. Um, for more on this, um, I also interviewed uh, Dr. Jana Krivets a year and a half ago, something like that. She's also um, a psychologist, uh, and we, we talked about these issues as well. But there's no easy answers. I, it's still, as you say, Joel, I, I now play three minute or longer, and it, it all happened to me now like one out of 20 times, usually around like anchoring to some rating that just sets me right. off. But if, it, if, it's, if it's a bullet session, if I sit down to play five one-minute games, it'll happen like half the time or something so right and it's it you know and it does set up these cycles of addiction where you end up right you know staying up late and the self-loathing that comes with that and it's yep. just you you know it's it, terrible it, yeah it, it's it's painful but yeah um tough to uh it's I, it's I, tough I, to yeah. change at that moment you've got to you've got to do the change like away from when it's happening yeah i had i mean i had i remember i had a gate i a neighbor of mine played bullet and i remember he, i saw him in the hallway and he's like i just finished eight hours of bullet <laughs> and i was just like and, and i played him I, I only played him once and like he he wasn't he didn't really know like there was some fundamental problems in his chest like positionally just like it was just not very good and this was at a time where i don't know how good i was at that time this was you know um 10 10 10, 12 years ago, 
So I don't remember how good I was. Maybe I was 16, 17, 18. I don't know. I can't remember. But but I was better than he was just sort of like understanding and positional chess, you know. And I, I think he won the game just throwing lots of pieces at me in a quick game. But um, but I just thought, I just remember that. I just finished eight hours of bullet chess. Like, I can't imagine that's healthy, right? Like, it's right. just not. And I think that happens to people, you know. And, I, and you know, I certainly have played several hours um, you know, playing, playing blitz. So the, the calmer you can be, the less involved you, you can make the, um, the, uh, the adrenaline because it's, it's about adrenaline and, and, and dopamine hits and, and that, that, that intensity that comes with pressure, um, is what's driving the, the psychology there. And so the slower you play, which is what, going back to what Wolf said, right? The slower you play, the less stress there is because you can sit and think and enjoy. But once you get the clock going, you start to panic. You get to you get that adrenaline rush, you're hitting the clock. And that's, you know, that's when it gets tricky psychologically. For sure, yeah. Well, Igor, sorry, we don't have any easier answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, a, it's a deeper, it's a, it's a psychology question. It's not a, it, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's, it's not a chess question so much. As, as far as I see it, I, I think chess players, and I've talked to people about this, the strong players have also suffered from this. And many do. Um, and, and, and they have tended to um, focus on the latter part of those questions. And I don't think that, I think it's about the first part of the question and not the latter part. He's smart. He's a smart guy, Igor. Um, so logical things, you can try logical things. I've tried all kinds of things. And um, I, I don't think any of those logical things help. They may help for a minute or a session or two, and then it, and then you relapse. I mean, I, th I find it really more the, the, the analogy of drug addiction, um, video game addiction is even better. Um, that so read about those things and you'll see yourself mm -hmm. and that, that's what I've done I've, but it sounds like you're saying the the ultimate answer might be just not to play bullet am I reading too much into your answer there at least at least okay. <laughs> at least bullet yeah <laughs> maybe just, yeah. yeah maybe just quit chess <laughs> no 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 not that but oh, like okay. but the, it's the clock right I mean it's it's the adrenaline that's what I'm getting at it's what okay. it's what it's the it's it's the drug addiction. So, I mean, you know, so, so yeah, so there's a neurophysiology going on here that is what I'm talking about. And so if you, um, you know, essentially go back to the Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous literature, what do they say? One is too many, a thousand, never enough. Mm -hmm. And that's the model I think that is most applicable here. And for most people that suffer from this, for me too. So if I don't play, um, if I don't play this type of stuff, fast games, I do useful stuff for my chess. I start right. training, I go over GM games, I start calculating, I do tactics, right? Because um, I'm in recovery. <laughs> but but when, when I'm not, when I relapsed, all I do is play blitz. And you know, I'm just getting my, I'm just getting the next fix. And this guy's basically saying the exact same thing, and he'll probably just go in circles. So this is the kind of thing that you know I would rather treat as a patient, you know, and rather than it's not a chess question, is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, 
again, very helpful. And yeah, I think this will resonate with like 80% of the, <laughs> the listeners. Yeah, yeah. No, I, this is the one thing I want to talk about more than anything. Yeah. Uh, for, for, for your listeners and myself, like th this, is, this is the thing that I've wanted to study um, from a research perspective, but you know, I mean, it's, I, I've done it. I, I, I've, I've gotten into this from a, from a, and the video game addiction model is the one to read about. If you want to read about yourself, read about video game addiction. Any particular uh, papers or books that come to Not mind? Not off the top of my head, but when I got into it, because I wanted to study it, I wanted to start doing some studies and try to figure out um, what to do or if there's anything I could do. And, um, you know, I just got into the video game addiction literature and that's where you'll see yourself, you know? Okay. So, okay. Well, on a related question, Joel, um, I hope I'm not, uh, stealing too much of the great material from your book, but one of your, uh, closing sentences was, um, most chess players do not realize that their psychology can be studied, but indeed it can. And the inner strength resulting from such study will pay great dividends over the board and in your life. So I was curious if if you have any stories of I mean obviously there's there's um, highs and lows associated with it but how do you feel that it has helped you um, away from chess? Well, that's I, I don't know how it's helped me away <laughs> from chess. Um, I often have thought about that. I I it's possible that I think very. Um, I feel like it's, you know, I've had, I've had, I've thought a lot about this because it's related to the question of can, can chess help certain types of psychological conditions? You know, for example, I've off, I, I, I have, um, I did a study uh, looking at the impact of chess on kids with attention deficit disorder, hyperactive disorder, ADHD. And I think that chess is a uh, is a a, a real um, potentially good treatment for ADHD. It it targets neuropsychologically. It targets all of the uh, areas, uh, uh, neuropsychological areas that are um, awry in, in in ADHD, and um, I think could be. Um, very, very helpful from a research standpoint. It becomes very difficult because you have to teach people how to play chess and you know that that kind of stuff. But um, so I, you know, I think that that it has certain uh, potential benefits, like just from 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 what what you're exercising with your brain um, when you play chess. And I think one of the things that it does teach you. Um, is planning and calculation, right? And um, so I think that one of the things that, that I feel a, a lot more, um, hmm, what's the word? Logical? I don't know if it's logical, but I feel like I'm, I'm better at, at planning. You know, like if I, if I have to map something out, like I, I push it to the end is better than I used to. You know what I mean? So I can, okay, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. Let's do this, that, and the other, and then this, and then what about that? And then it's just almost like you're analyzing a position in your mind, which is the thing in ADHD 
that's difficult, right? Executive functions are the deficit, the major deficit in ADHD, and that's a, 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 a you know that's a problem with planning um, and attention issues. And so chess is a real like really targets that 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 one thing. The other thing that I would say about about this kind of thing is it goes back to Igor's question, right? Um, you know, we if we take chess as a self-reflective exercise, then we can learn a lot, right? And that's mm-hmm. what, for example, Jesse Cry has been talking about for so long, um, about the importance of studying your own games. Right. If you do that seriously, which I've never done, um, and uh, but he's too busy. <laughs> he's too busy to work with me. I tried talk to him, um, but but you know I've never done that. But seriously, but I think that you know if you treat and, and it goes back to what Boris said, right? That it will always correct your self assessment. That's because what he was doing was the hard work of analyzing his games. I mean, you can imagine 1970 in Soviet Union working with, the t- you know, those types of players. You're going to be sitting there going over your games. Like, yeah. Really, that's going to be intense. Like, they're, they're GMs for a reason. Um, and, and if you do that, then you're going to learn a lot. You're going to come, come to grips with yourself. I mean, that's what he talks about in um, when he talks about Karpov and Kasparov in their world championship match. They, you know, Kasparov, they, for him to equal the score and to salvage that first match, right? It was about getting into the mind of Karpov and and learning about who he was as a person. And all of a sudden he starts to switch over. He starts to play the Queen's Gambit declined, right? And, 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 and And the match turns around. And... That's the kind of self-reflective process that um, chess allows. It's it's a it's a privilege. It's a psychoanalytic privilege, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. And 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 Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. I fully agree with that as a psychoanalyst. And and in in my mind, I've always thought about that psychoanalysis, which you know I'm, I'm a psychoanalyst. You know, I've always always thought about what a privilege it is to be able to to sit for 45 minutes with an analyst for four days a week, uh, which is what you do in psychoanalysis, and reflect on your life and think about who am I and, and what am I doing and why I do what I do. And, and, and that's, that's the part that I've always done. It's like, sort of like the main thing I've done since I was young. And I find that chess is, is like the perfect game for that. Like, well said. Yeah. So if you have that opportunity, don't waste it because it's really special. Well said. All right. Well, we got a lot more to discuss, Joel. I want to get into books, uh, you know, both ch- both from the chess realm and the non-chess realm, as you reference in your latest book. But first, we need to take uh, one more break, Joel, to hear from our sponsors. 
Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, uses space repetition to help you remember tactical patterns, opening sequences, whatever aspect of your game that you're working on. And they have a huge library of awesome courses. So whatever it is you want to work on, there's a good chance you can find something to help you on Chessable. Some of their latest includes a lifetime repertoires course on the London from Grandmaster Sahaj Grover and Sarnath Narayanan. Now, I don't want you to play in London personally, but if you're going to do it, then this is a good learning resource. Uh, Grandmaster Alex Cholovich has a new course on Bobby Fischer's Endgames. Of course, uh, the legend RB Ramesh's Improve Your Chess Calculation if you really want to challenge yourself. So there's always tons to check out from chessable.com. They have lots of free courses to check out as well. So just be sure to go to Chessable, get a streak going, and see what they have to offer. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And we are back. And Joel, one of the books that you say resonated with you the most um, in uh, in your book is actually not chess related. It is called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. So, and you reference that in in comparison to various sports psychology books that you'd read. So, my first question when I read this, because you don't mention golf anywhere else in the book, is are you even a golfer or did you just read this from no. a chess perspective? <laughs> I love golf, but I don't play. I okay. mean, it's in my family, like my grandfather and uh, stuff played uh, all the time. So, I kind of grew up with it around, but it's not something I, I mean, I played a little bit, but not much. I watch it. You know, I'm a big Tiger Woods fan, and I, I, I remember watching Jack Nicklaus win Masters when I was a kid, and would watch with my grandmother and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love the game. I think it's interesting. Although Mark Twain said it was a good walk ruined. Yeah, it's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the great ones. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I just you know the the point. What I thought was really interesting um, when I was writing the book with Boris and doing research on chess psychology, and I read those books, like the chess psychology books, I was like, wait a second, there's all these people. Chess is a sport, man. You're like, you're sitting there trying to, you know, win. It's just happening in your mind, but it's still, you know, there's all of this sporting element to chess. And no one is talking about sports psychology. And so I, I tried to take a little bit from the sports psychology literature. And I thought it was really, really helpful how even someone as accomplished, you know, as the, the, the um, I think it was Bob Watson in the, in the book, uh, talks about how important it is to train your psychology um, in, in golf. And I was like, wow, you know, and, and now that I think of, you know, you hear it more and more and more, especially in one-on-one -on -one games like tennis, right? Tennis would be another one. Every one of these top tennis players has a sports psychologist on their team. And, and, you, and you can see it like when they talk about like who's in their player's box with the players. I don't know if you follow tennis, but you like there's Rafa Nadal and then they show his coach 
and then they show his fitness guy and then they show the nutritionist guy and then there's the sports psychology person yeah. and it's true for all of them now they all have their own like sports psychology person now of course Nadal is a you know the best player in the world and so on and so forth but no one's doing that in chess as far as I know I mean I you know it's it's un clear whether you know magnus and people like that can that that can afford to have a chess you know to have a sports psychologist but they have a lot to offer you know and one of the, and, and and i thought that this whole concept of you know golf not being a game of perfect was you know there, there was so much to think about like in that book as it was and, and apply it to chess and like goal setting and and, and 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 dreaming big i thought was really great that was like a have big dreams that's great now yeah. how do you get there but to have them is really great you know and and the idea of like you know what is your you know what is your true you know i think of it as true score because because i trained in psychometrics um but you know what is your your true uh, uh ability you know how good can you be you know, and it was very interesting when when I, I played a tournament once, and I did well, and I remember I went to Boris's house and I had a lesson, and he, in his mind, kind of calculated my performance, my, my performance score, and it was twenty two hundred or something like that, or twenty one fifty or twenty two hundred, and he was like, yeah, you see, you're you can be master strength, and. And, you know, that's, it's interesting that, that he was less interested or not interested at all in any kind of rating game or average rating, which I also talk about in, the, in, the, in that chapter. Like the average rating is just telling you about average performance. But, but if you're interested in how good you can be, you know, hey, look at that. You just played a, 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 a tournament, you did really well, and you, you were, you know, performing at a master level, you can be that on average. Right. You just have, you know, you have to get there. Um, so I thought that that was, you know, that was really interesting. And they talk about that in, 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 in a lot of in, in, in a lot of these sports psychology books. Um, they talk a lot about mentalization and goals and all that kind of stuff that that that, um, you know, I think we need to bring you know, for for the chess improvers out there, not for the people that are already really good, but. You know, for the chess improvers, like if you're trying to maximize your ability to improve in adulthood, then you got to put effort not just into chess, but how you improve. Yeah. You know, and 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 to think through like how can I do that efficiently? I don't have time to be inefficient, so it has to be done like you know has to be done efficiently, and that in, in includes all kinds of stuff. Like how, for example, going back to Igor, how's that training plan working for you? Right. Right? Like, how is my training plan working? My training plan right now is non-existent. And how is that working for me? Well, it's not. Yeah. Right? So, so the smarter goal approach that I talk about in the book is like, well, reassess. Like, did you implement a, a training plan? And then reflect back on, on how is it going? Make adjustments. Keep going towards getting something that's working. Okay, what's not working? <laughs> you know? And again, that has to do with this idea of, of chess and self-reflection. That doesn't work for me. Why doesn't it work for me? You know, that kind of thing. And, and you keep doing that and you keep uh, 
you know, you keep paring it down. And I think at some point, as you know, you said, look, playing bullet doesn't help for me. I can't do it. I, I can't stop the train <laughs> once I get on it. Right. And and so and for me, too, like I'm not, I, I can't do that. If I'm training, I'm not playing blitz, like just not happening because I can't I can't do both simultaneously because yeah. everything goes out the window. I got to know that's can't be part of my training game playing blitz online that's got to be my pre-training game training preparation and then it's like okay if i'm going to make a comeback if i'm going to start playing again the blitz is going to stop mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> yeah a lot, lot from there to follow up on one thing i just wanted for listeners it's come up on the pod periodically so i think some of you are familiar with the concept of uh smart goals but it's also mentioned in joel's book um, it refers to a specific type of goal. It's an acronym, which stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound. And then <clears throat> I mentioned to Joel via email um, that I hadn't heard the ER. There's an ER added that Joel just mentioned at the end, which is uh, evaluate and reassess, you said, Joel? Right. Yeah, which is obviously fantastic advice. So as you say, we all have ups and downs, Joel, um, when it comes to uh, sticking with regimens. Um but one thing we haven't dug into too much is uh, like you made this massive jump that so many people listening uh, would like to emulate. Um, I, you know, it sounds like you have a very sort of cerebral, big picture approach to chess improvement, which I'm sure helps. I'm sure living in New York City helps um, getting to compete without like having to jump through too many hoops. But when you are on a good regimen, uh, what sort of stuff have, has helped you improve your game? So when, when I'm on a good regimen and I'm, and I'm training and I'm playing, really it's just playing, right? Because once you start to I play, you, 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 everything just, you, it's, like, it's like this automatic thing kicks in. You're like, oh my God, I'm playing. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> right? It's amazing, yeah. right? It's, and it's everything like, oh. to me. It's the, more I, the more I try yeah. other stuff and then compete, it's, it's yeah. everything. So you play like a serious game or plan to play a serious game um, or start to play, you know, in regular tournament games, and everything kind of falls into place. And um, you just start training, like um, whatever, you know. I mean, I've got a whole wall full of books, like you do too, right? You know, like a whole f- bookshelves full of stuff and books that I want to read and study and pick any of them. It, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter. Just pick one and start studying and and you know for example what i have done um you know is what everyone does right you do some tactics to 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 improve tactical awareness um and then i really enjoy going over games and uh i find you know like al yekin's games to be probably like the best for me the best game collection because it's just about the right i have a real really really visceral response to modern chess books and all of the engine analysis that goes in them um it's like so irrelevant to me and Uh it has nothing to do with over the board decision making and i just i find it to be like i can't even look at the book anymore so i really don't even focus on any books that are written after 2000 um (laughs) because they don't help think you know i don't care if he's right or not right. 
I don't care. Like I could care less if the computer finds that H4, H5 wins the game or whatever. That's irrelevant. What's relevant is, you know, his thinking at the time in relation to that player. And it was good enough for him. It's going to be good enough for us. Don't worry about that. That 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 the the computer is now eight hundred thousand points better than he was. That's not important. What's important is that he's a lot better than you, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's a lot better than his opponent. And and he's going to show you his games. And I I find that that's the you know just enough analysis. Sometimes a tiny bit overboard, but just enough analysis um, where where I have to work. And I think that's really important. Like. The, the idea, you know, like um, what I try to do is to calculate the variation in my head. And that's that's important sort of calculation training. Um, so just going over the game, it, over the board with actual pieces. And then when I get to the, the calculation, try to do the, the variation in my head. And if, you know, I struggle, struggle, struggle. And if I can't do it, then then move the pieces on the board. Or skip the skip the analysis because it's too much and it's irrelevant anyway. Um, that that to me is probably the the thing that that I feel puts me in game shape the best because um, that's what you do over the board. Yeah, yeah, good advice. And you mentioned yeah. the Alyekin compilation. What other favorite books do you have for us, Joel? I'm sure you you've got a few written before 2000. Yeah, only only before 2000. Um, <laughs> Um, besides lessons with the grandmaster, <laughs> yeah, which are great, by the way, they well, really I, are. I'll cop to it. I've only read yeah. the I, so the first one. I've heard great things over the years. So I've had uh, the ebook from Everyman that I bought. So I have it in chess space, as I mentioned before. I like having uh, the books in chess space. So I've had that forever, and I only obviously dug into it in getting ready for this interview. But I, and I read your new book in in its entirety. But but I do. It's a unique style, and I, I really enjoyed reading it. And uh, as yeah. you say, you can play through games in those. Yeah, yeah I I really like um, the, those all three of those books. Um, obviously, I got to write them, so um, I was asking the questions, and you know, and of course, they're edited, so I'm I, I seem even smarter over the board over uh, on, in the book than I actually am. <laughs> but you know, I had a friend of mine. You know, uh, I was playing. Uh, you know, he he was going through through the book, and he was like, you know, yeah, it's like there I am. You know, like my questions are are like the questions that he would ask, or 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 the assumptions that I would make about a position or just like ghost on the board and like leaving pieces on pre and in, in, in my analysis, you know, and just having how clearly they see the board, how clearly they see the board, the kinds of moves that they, you know, oh, he would never go for that. Like, that's so important. We should really make sure we talk about that. This idea of the internalization of the, of the, of the teacher, the grandmaster, the psychoanalyst, we, we have to touch on that. But um, in terms of books, um, the, again, the, what I like to do is go through the, the games. What I really, really like more than anything is games and then a, a, a reasonable amount of na- analysis that I can do in my head, ideally. That's the perfect balance. So actually, Neil McDonald, I think, does a really, really spectacular yeah. job of that. Um, probably the best of anyone. Um, in terms of like modern day writer, like his, he has, um, I forget the name of it, but he did a series with uh, Everyman um, where uh, something about uh, legends or, or 
or something like that. A positional legends like with with Giants Carbo. of Strategy. Giants of Strategy. <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that because uh, I have a podcast coming out. We're recording yeah. this on Wednesday. It's coming out on yeah. Friday where Karsten Hansen and I discuss underrated chess books. And that's one of the ones I, I named. Giants of Strategy is just so good, right? Yeah. Um, and there and he's got a lot of books like that. There's there's yeah, he's so good at that. Like here's here's let's learn from this great game. And he doesn't get in the way of the game, but does show a few things that you can calculate on your own. And therefore, you get through the book. There's a high enjoyment um, quality to it, so you, you feel like you accomplished something. I just find like that that those are great. I mean, obviously, I mean the book that that comes to mind in terms of like overall, like how to play chess. I think Reassess Your Chess by Silman is really, if you haven't read that, that's that's a really good book to go through um, seriously, like with a, with a board and, and, and work through. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've said before, I should be clear. I don't want to contradict myself. Reassess for your chest is not my absolute favorite, but it's, yeah. it's very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, Joel, um, there's so much more on my outline, but as, as I mentioned before, we're recording, you've got to go. My daughter's, um, my daughter's homesick today. So hopefully we can do a part two sometime. I'd um, love to. But any um, any closing thoughts before we uh, before we say our goodbyes? I mean, um, I, I'm sure you have a wealth of stories from all the the strong players you've you've uh, spoken with. Like, among other possibilities, does any of your conversations with like you mentioned you talked to friend of the pod David Smeridan, Kostya, mm-hmm. um, does anything is there anything that really stuck with you from all your conversations and uh, lessons with um, stronger players? They all say great things that stick with you, you know, at some, at some point, you know, um, you know, I guess, you know, um, you know, for example, I, 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 I had lessons with, uh, Cy Lakdawalla, who's a prolific chess author. I think he's been on your, yeah, he has always entertaining podcast and, you know, um, check, you know, the, the, you know what did he he said that that my 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 need to be perfect paralyzes paralyzes me to inaction you know and like i i think about that stuff you know like the, those those are nuggets of okay he's from a chess perspective he's 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 tapping into a psychological problem about competition right and so i find that stuff to be really useful i think you know there are a few things that that um um, I, I would like to, to, to mention before we before we end. Um, one is this idea of the ego being a limited resource, and two um, is this idea of the in the internalization of the chess teacher or the psychoanalyst or or, or, or whatever you want to call it. So I'll just say briefly, sure. right? The idea of the ego being a limited resource. This is really really important. I use this all the time with my patients when. Um, we are at war with whatever, and that would be, you know, you could think of it as chess, life, um, psychopathology, whatever. You think about your, your mind as a battlefield, and you think about the forces that you have um, at your disposal. And you know, imagine yourself in, in the Civil War, and you've got the Union and the Confederate armies facing each other 
on a hilltop somewhere in Virginia, <laughs> right? That's the mind. That's the the image that I want you to have in your mind. What would be what would be um, the, the a beneficial strategy for that fight? Would it be to spread out your forces so that they cover the entire state line of Virginia, uh, or would you focus on the battlefield and trying to consolidate your forces so that you can protect the battlefield? And the idea there is that if you spread out your army to protect the entire state line, um, you're going to be weak, right? And you're not going to be able to 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 withstand the the fight. Um, and so what happens? The idea of the ego being a limited resource is that we don't um, enough, I think, appreciate. I mean, you talk about this a lot in pretty much every podcast. Um, you, you mentioned this idea, but it's really important. You don't, we don't enough appreciate um, how much we're asking ourselves to do mm-hmm. in terms of, of setting up realistic goals and stuff and training plans. I see all the time these training plans that people put up online or, in, you know, they're going to train this. They're going to do six hours a day. They're going to do three hours a day of this and blah, 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 right? And now if you don't have anything to do, Besides that, fantastic, great. But most of us have jobs and kids and and so forth and careers. I mean, you know, for me, I'm a professor, I'm a researcher, I'm a therapist. Uh, you know, I've got kids. I, you know, and you know, at some point, at eleven o'clock at night, maybe I'll get to sit down and and do a little chess. You know, and um, the ego which is managing all of that, it's unrealistic to think that I'm going to get, you know, and under those circumstances that I'm going to, you know, pop up with a fresh mind (laughs) and, and do hard chess work, like analyzing games or analyzing positions or, or do, you know, doing that kind of thing. It's unrealistic for me to think that it's the same kind of thing that happens with people um, uh, uh, bulimia is a kind of an eating disorder where um, they there's a there's a, a a problem with sort of the the ideal body image that exists in the person's mind and how they're going to uh, get there. So they wake up and they're like, "I'm going to starve myself today because I want to reach this ideal state uh, uh, where I look a certain way." They starve themselves. They starve themselves. And then eventually they get too hungry, they get too tired, right? They get wiped out from work and then they break down. And when they break down, they binge, right? And um, that is a, an idea and a model that you can apply to yourself in chess and, and your chess training. If you think that your chess training plan is realistic, then you know, or for me, like my chest training plan, like I'm going to do some serious training at 11 o'clock at night and I've got to wake up at 7.30 in the morning to get the kids ready for school. It's not going to happen, right? So you have to be realistic about your goals um, and you have to think about the ego being a limited resource because what will happen is that you'll end up beating yourself up, right? Um, which is what happens with the bulimic patients, right? You know, um, you end up beating yourself up that you're not able to meet the goals and the standards that you have for yourself, um, which which are unrealistic to begin with. So that's the idea of the ego as a limited resource. And the, the, the last final thing I want to say about the teachers 
um, and especially someone like Boris, someone that you can see and go see repeatedly who becomes your teacher, is that they, and I think this happens even with reading a book of a great, why people get good studying game collections is because that person becomes internalized in your mind the way a psychoanalyst becomes internalized in your mind when you see them regularly every day, four days a week, or a psychologist once a week, you be, you know, what would my therapist say? What would my teacher say? What would Boris say? Get answers to those questions. Boris would never put his rook behind that stupid pawn passively. <laughs> he would sacrifice the pawn and activate his rook. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of thing that that you get to take with you when you meet and study with a strong player is that they're kind of on your shoulder with you and that improves your ability to play that resonates yeah Mm -hmm. that i've as i mentioned before on the pod i've only had a coach in this most recent spate of tournaments these past two years and the the number of times that i think like I'm going to have to show this game to, to Axel, Grandmaster Axel Bachman. Um, it, right. It's like off the charts. And it helps because he's, you know, uh, as, as again, as I've mentioned before, and um, it's different for every person, but in my particular case, like, you know, when I when I have an advantage, I, I need to uh, play more aggressively. So like in those situations, his voice is like ringing in my head and that's hugely valuable, you know? Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, well, Joel, Coaster was right. This has been fantastic. <laughs> really appreciate you sharing your insights. Uh, totally understand the struggle, but I'm sure there'll be some people rooting for you to make it back to the board at some point. It's going to happen. I feel it. Nice. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, and and um, so I, obviously I'll link to the books. Is there anything else um, I should, should link to in terms of uh, people who want to cheer you on? No, I think that's, that's uh, great. Okay, um, great. Well, well, you know, like I'm, I said, I'm ha- if some if someone you know if they want ask me questions or something, they can they can send me an email. That's fine. Prof.sneed at gmail.com. Okay, awesome. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Like I said, and yeah, hope to uh, hope to get an update uh, at some point down the road. And also, uh, you know, we're not too far away, so hopefully we meet in person. Yeah, that so would be great. Okay. Maybe at the Marshall. Exactly. All right. Awesome. Okay. Very good. Thanks a lot, Joel. Okay. Take care. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Official one on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the
Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.